and welcome to the show. This upload is coming to you November the 9th, 2016, and you're listening to the Post Money Plan Podcast. Today's episode is hosted by myself, Dallas Post, founder of the Post Money Plan, as well as Jason Colwick. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hello, thanks for having me. Could you just give us a little background on yourself? Sure, absolutely. In a nutshell, I'm a pretty typical guy. My name is Jason. I was born in Central Texas in 1988 and basically grew up in the 90s with the evolution of video games and internet and watched that whole thing go down. Went off to college in Houston and majored in engineering and got my degree and I've been doing the professional thing a few years out of school since that. So that's where I am in my young professional development life. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and you can just share your personal experience with us so our listeners can get a feel for how someone like yourself has gone through the process of staying in control of their finances. Sure thing. So could you just give us a little bit more background on yourself and where you're coming from with regards to finances and where you are now? Sure. So in a nutshell, I'm kind of an extremely frugal person, and I've always been pretty good about managing my finances I would say from very early on in my childhood, I was very conscientious of money. My parents didn't have a lot, and it goes to the adage of how wealth tends to skip a generation. I don't know how true that is, but it's certainly true in my family. My grandparents were sort of well-to-do, and I'm not sure how much of that they transferred on to their kids. So my parents didn't really know how to manage their money or know much about it. So we just were a middle-class average family growing up, but I always just remembered thinking, you know, I want a little more than this. I don't necessarily want to just be nonchalant about my savings and my investing. So from a very, very early age, I remember paper routes and lemonade stands and selling fruits and vegetables door-to-door and just kind of miscellaneous money-making schemes. So you started early. (laughs) Absolutely. But I'm sure every kid has a lemonade stand. It was not a particularly profound experience. But what was profound to me was I remember receiving little bits of money here and there and always remembering, man, I got I got to I got to keep hold of this somehow. You know, I I never saw money as something that was um, a thing to buy a, a piece of candy or something fun. I always sort of knew that it was meant for for much more from a very early age. I'm not quite sure where that came from. It might have had something to do with sort of my grandfather kind of teaching me. I have a story about my grandfather. He kept a a jar of of, uh, coins next to his bed his whole childhood because, you know, he grew up in the Depression era. So, uh, you know, my grandma always explained to me that he was afraid of never having enough. So he always, you know, kept that on his mind. So I don't know if that transferred to me or I can't really explain where it came from, but... I've always thought that I pretty had a pretty healthy uh, background of what money, you know, was all about. And then, uh, you know, when I started to get in my teenage years, you know, I got the job, you know, flipping burgers and, uh, you know, as a lifeguard and all that, all that kind of minimum wage stuff. And then, uh, you know, I started to make not a lot of money, but, you know, thousands of dollars. And, uh, you know, that has kind of just stayed in my bank accounts ever since. Went off to college and did an internship with a drilling company. And, you know, made ten or $12,000 that summer. I was like, wow, now I'm like starting to seriously see, see some of the money come in. And uh, I've just been kind of conscientious and investing, you know, wisely ever since. I was actually going to say uh, back on the generational thing, it kind of seems like a, a pendulum swing from hunger of not having much to entitlement or spoiledness if you end up growing up with too much. And there's a kind of a risk on either side. Absolutely. I, I've, I've seen that firsthand in my life, but I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to sort of point a finger and say that, you know, absolutely, this is the way it's got to be. You know, if you're born in a wealthy family, you're doomed forever because I don't want to put limitations on people like that. I, I really think it's all about kind of the attitude and the parenting skills that comes along with it. But I, I have seen that go down through several family members and friends. 
I think it's also a pretty common story from people that were very young coming out of the depression, grew up with a, a mentality of being very conservative with their resources and stockpiling and, and things like that, whereas the baby boomer generation uh, was fairly different. Sure. Well, I try not to let that, you know, influence me financially. I try to keep a pretty unbiased, open mind about, you know, saving. And in other words, I'm willing to accept risk. I'm not extremely conservative with my money, you know, especially now, you know, I'm in my late 20s. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So, you know, I'm certainly willing to put a lot of risk on the table and, you know, seem to stomach it pretty well. Okay. So let's just hone back in on the early years. What would you say you were taught about money in school? <clears throat> let's see. Uh, so, as I mentioned, the first uh, education I had about money wasn't necessarily from school. It was, uh, I remember reading these Bernstein Bears books. It was like a children's book back <laughs> right. in the 90s. That uh, there's, there's this one book that was, I think it was called uh, Trouble with Money or something. And it was, you know, the bears kept spending their lunch money on candy and something like that. And then they got the paper route or something, and their dad taught them how to save it and invest it. And so that's kind of my first education on money. I don't necessarily remember being taught anything in school. Uh, you know, I went to a typical Texas public school and was taught the, the basics, reading, writing, history, social studies, all that kind of stuff. But there was no, there was no education on money in, in that respect. So originally, kind of like a lot of people, I thought that, you know, saving was the answer. So I would just hoard and hoard and hoard and save my money and just kind of be extremely frugal. But then I kind of learned that's that's not necessarily the right, the right way to go, as I've learned later on. For one, it kind of kills the soul to do that. It's not very healthy. You know, it's maybe off-putting to friends and family and just kind of live a miser lifestyle. So I started sort of later transitioning once I started in college. So basically, in summary, uh, public school, you know, elementary school, high school, basically zero. I, I didn't learn anything from money. And in fact, uh, you know, when I got out of high school, luckily in college, I, I double majored. Actually, I was an engineer, but I was also an economics major. So that that actually had a really, really big influence on my um, my financial education, because now you started getting into things like markets and psychologies and equilibriums and that kind of thing. So that was actually quite pivotal for me, which is something that I'm grateful for. And I think would behoove a lot of people to uh, basically have a basic understanding of, you know, economics 101. It's kind of strange to me how a lot of people don't seem to understand this concept of net social losses and taxes and all these kind of things. You know, you look at a supply and a demand curve and yeah, it's it's sort of a pseudoscience. You could say that, you know, economics isn't 100%, but it's pretty close. And these kind of just basic things, I think, would benefit a lot of people to understanding how markets work, how our psychology works, how our own governments work. But going back to the high school and the education when I got out of high school and started making my first money, you know, a little paltry couple thousand dollars here and there, I had to fill out my first tax return. I was, I don't know, maybe 20 years old or something after college, uh, after that internship, and I totally screwed it up. I completely botched my tax, my tax <laughs> return, my 1040. I didn't do it right. There was like a 1099 I had that I forgot to file. And so I got audited by the IRS, or not audited, they just sent me a letter saying, hey man, you <laughs> discovered some income that you didn't account for. So, uh, you know, you got to redo your taxes. And I was, I was I was pretty terrified. I thought, man, is this jail time? Like, what's going on? <laughs> oh, no. So I went, actually, I was living in Houston at the time. I actually went to one of those IRS offices and, you know, the big physical ones, because I didn't understand you could do it online. I didn't, just didn't know. I didn't have any education. So I went into the office. It was miserable, man. There was like a, a two or three hour line of just distraught people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've experienced that before. We're in the same situation as me. Just had binders full of papers trying to figure their stuff out. 
And I got in line and I was there for several hours, I'm sure, and eventually met with one of the agents and they kind of explained the situation to me and, you know, how you have to account for this and that. So they told me to fill out this 1040X something or other to change your tax returns. Anyways, long story short, I figured all that out, filled that out, and I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, man, this is embarrassing. I'm a grown man and I don't, I fill out my taxes wrong. How embarrassing is that? <laughs> so on the way out of the IRS office, I grabbed, there was a big stack of books, you know, those big 400 page IRS publications. So I actually grabbed one on my way out, took it home with me, and read that sucker cover to cover. (laughs) Oh, really? Probably like a month for me to down that whole thing and basically got really, really good at the tax code. So like now, I I actually like doing my taxes now. It's really, really fun for me to try to just optimize and push money here and push money there. It's completely illegal, of course. I'm not, you know, trying to... Kind of sad and cool at the same time. Yeah, sad and cool at the same time. (laughs) It sounds boring to... sort of embarrassing for me to admit this, but the point is, is because I wasn't taught anything in school, you would think high school would have, here's how to fill out a 1040 class that you're going to have to do 80 years for the rest of your life when you graduate. That should probably be like a whole class, like all of senior year at least. I mean, yeah, it doesn't seem like there's classes on personal finance, personal taxes, uh, raising children, none of the stuff that everyone does. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for my education. I went to public school, and yeah, there's a lot of waste, but you know, I, I got a pretty decent education out of it and was able to go to college and experience some cool things. So yes, it's bad, but it's it's not that bad. Like I said earlier, it's all about the attitude and the individual sort of taking charge of their own family or their own friends and making sure that at least their own situation is squared off. And that takes a lot of, I don't know how to say it, like self-starter attitude where, you know, as a child, you don't know what you don't know. So it can be very difficult to start on the path of trying to educate yourself and take that into your own hands if you don't have some guidance or at least direction. But oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mentorship and direction is, is essential to you know childhood development. I mean, I would never wish for anybody to go through kind of what I had. I come from a sort of broken family, divorced family, you know, surprise, surprise, 50% of kids are like that these days. So, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of guidance from mom and dad sitting down and teaching all these things. So I just kind of had to discover it for my own. But as I mentioned earlier, you know, I'm sort of grateful for that, quote unquote, the gift of hardship because you kind of grow a backbone and learn how to be resilient. Um, So that's really helped me in my own discipline and my journey through my personal finance now in my early career because, you know, I kept those lessons of frugality and financial responsibility with me. So I've, I've always been in pretty good shape as far as getting the job and bought my first house actually when I was 25 and lived in it and rented it out to a roommate. And uh, he was paying for most of the mortgage. And I was like, man, this is the best thing ever. You know, I, I went from paying, I don't know, 700 bucks, whatever, in rent to paying like 100. It's like, man, this is the best. So basically just continue doing that stuff and saving a lot of money. And I see the snowball effect starting to happen. And uh, I see sort of all the, the root causes to that You just from a mile away. It all comes back to the education. I mean, there's a lot to be There's a lot to be learned in terms of personal finance, but, you know, the information's out there. Anyone with an internet connection could theoretically obtain it, but it's it's just a question of finding the right people and getting the right information and not getting biased. You know, you could read an article, but maybe the guy's, you know, wrong, so... Well, that's actually a good point. With the internet, you theoretically have access to almost any information out there these days. It's just you have to have some guiding force or uh, some mentor which can point you in the right direction or so that you know which way to go. And that can be very confusing. Absolutely. You actually mentioned earlier about starting out with the philosophy of miserly, frugal lifestyle. And that's actually not very common. Uh, I would say most people have the opposite problem. So you're probably in the minority there. 
people are usually dealing with the opposite problem. But I was going to say one of the benefits of that frugalness is that the money that you're saving early on, that can eventually translate into passive income where you're not having to spend time working to create income through investments. Like you're saying, you, you were able to buy the real estate and just by purely owning it, you have cash coming in the door. Absolutely. Yeah. I, when I was a kid, I knew that money wasn't really something that you spent on. I call it freedom units. It's like energy, right? Food has calories and money is kind of energy that you can transfer into something else. So I never saw it as if you spent it, then you can't spend it on making more money. So that's kind of always what I wanted to use it for. And that's where the frugality comes in. I, I use the word frugality, though, with a warning, because as I said, you know, some people take it too far. But the whole quote, what is it, a uh, penny saved is a penny earned. It's actually a penny saved is a little bit more than a penny earned because uh, you don't have to pay taxes on the pennies you save. So it's 1.25 or 1.3 pennies earned, if, what depending on your tax bracket. So that's why frugality is so, so important, you know, early on because, you know, every every little bit helps. You know, I might be on a little bit of the extreme side. Uh, you know, I've, I've done some things that are quite frugal in my day. I try not to do this anymore, but man, I used to be used to be frugal to the max. I used to eat oatmeal with tuna and just all kind of weird things. Uh, but, uh, you know, you do what you have to do. Yeah, just as, long, as long as it's not ramen. Right, yeah. Uh, so, oh, that's actually a good point because um, I would say one of the, the key factors in my development has been that I always put my health as a priority, and that's really, really helped me out. Uh, you know, in the job situation, you know, I've always been lucky enough to have a stable job. And I think having the, the health and the physical stamina means I work long hours. I work like, you know, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, sometimes in my job, even though, you know, I'm only obligated to work 40. But, you know, that sort of keeps me on the payroll because it shows that I'm willing to stay late and whatever. And I'm sure that has had something to do with, you know, I work in oil and gas and, you know, it's the year 2016. And there's a kind of a recession a few years ago when oil prices. So I certainly have seen the effects of that. But uh, being able to maintain my health and not sacrificing by buying the ramen and anything like that has sort of helped me, I think, been able to stay steadily employed these last few years. So that's kind of the, the next lesson is never sacrifice your health for money. Well, I think one that, thing you know, that's that, pretty common is people like young professionals who are career minded will go into a, a job that's demanding 80 plus hours a week, which there's definitely value to hard work, and that's very important and noble. But when you go too far, you have the potential to burn yourself out. And you, if you're only sleeping three hours a night, and it just wears on you, where it's an unsustainable lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a time to sow and a time to reap. And you have to find that equilibrium point of working hard versus playing hard recovery time. So kind of one thing I never mentioned in my background is sports has kind of always been a big part of my life. So I've always understood the value of exercise and sleep and nutrition and how much of an impact that has on your psychology and everything else, your energy levels and your stamina. So that's kind of the core. Well, yeah, it's, I think it's important to balance mental health, physical health, spiritual health, and like they're all pieces of the puzzle. Oh, yeah. So if you could just summarize your philosophy towards money management, how would you describe it? Okay, I'll... I'll summarize it quickly. Um, so money isn't something to be spent on fun and nice things, at least early on in life. What you need to do as a young person is you need to take that money and invest it. Number one thing that most people need is housing when they're young. So sort of save as much money as you can, be really frugal, try to buy maybe your first house and get a roommate, offset that. 
and then start using the money that you save from then on thereafter to buy more income-producing assets rather than vacations and candy and cars and all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of my general philosophy is, is I value money as an income-producing asset. So I try to accumulate some and save, keep hold of what I have to sort of produce more because maybe one day I might have to take care of a family or have a parent who needs health care or something like that. I mean, there's an infinite number of things we need money for in this society. So that's kind of why it's a foundational building block of life. It's extremely wise to educate yourself and basically live responsibly. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And I just want to harp on this one more time is, is that power of compounded interest and then passive income where the savings early on, when you fast forward later on in your life, that translates into investments that are just spinning off cash that you're not even having to actively put time and energy into. Yeah. I mean, the compound effect is quite important. I don't quite like the word passive because it implies you're just not doing anything and you always want to be contributing to society. And if you're a landlord, you always want to be fixing up the house and not running a slumlord or anything like that. Sure, sure. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It compounds over time. Like when I first started working, it was so slow. You know, I started basically, my net worth was pretty much zero dollars when I was 24 because I used the money from high school jobs and, and that internship stuff to pay for college tuition. Graduated luckily with zero debt, but then had to claw my way out and started saving, 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 and then bought the first house and then bought a second house and then other investments, stocks, that kind of thing. And it's just four or five years later, fast forward, and I am starting to see the snowball effect take root. So, And I think that's huge, which I think people should be aware of. Not everyone can come out of school without debt, but if you can make that progress towards getting rid of the debt, it frees you up. How do you say it? It, it frees you up beyond what you would imagine. Sure. Just in terms of your personal situation, what would you say are some of the major things you've done right so far? So the major things I've done right, I would say, is taking care of housing. So housing is, oh man, it's the best. When I was broke and I was out of school, you know, I've lived in apartments and slept on friends' couches. I was actually homeless for like three months in between jobs in my early 20s and stuff. And I've done the housing thing, the shift and the U-Hauls and all that, and it is not fun, man. Once you find stable, secure housing, that's just, it's such a weight off of your shoulders and a stress reliever. So that's the one thing I did right was find secure housing with a roommate, friend of mine who I could get along with that pays the mortgage. And now I have the stress gone of the moving and all this and the rent. And now I can focus on the things that matter, like take care of my health. Probably the number one is the health thing, keeping my health as the number one priority, working out at least probably 10 hours a week. And then those are the main two. And then the number three is just working hard at your job. I have a job and I just work hard. I work late hours. I try really hard. I don't really slack off at it. I understand that, hey, man, I'm grateful to be employed here. I understand the value of that, so I don't take it for granted. Well, and eventually people notice if you're putting in hard work, they notice your work ethic. That's basically it. I'm just a typical guy who basically has gotten, I've been really fortunate in my life, so I'm extremely grateful for the blessings that I've received thus far. I've sort of lived long enough to see the big picture and what causes lead to what effects in terms of financial responsibilities. So I simply just try to adhere to those causes that lead to the beneficial effects. It's as simple as that. I think the difficulty we often have in life is that you learn the hard way or you have to learn what not to do from doing it. Oh, yeah. But if you can leverage the experience of others who have already gone through a process and they can tell you, okay, take this path and not this one, you can save yourself a ton of time and suffering. And that applies to not just financial situations, but I think life in general. Absolutely. So in that vein, actually, what would you say are some things that you did wrong or could have done better? 
Oh my gosh, the list is way too large to count. So <laughs> I have made mistake after mistake. I've lost thousands of dollars investing in stocks. One time I invested in the stock Alibaba, this Chinese trading Amazon equivalent. I lost like yeah, yeah. $3,000 in one day. I was like, oh my goodness, what, what did I just do? When was, was that? Terrible. Like right when it IPO'd? Or when was that? Uh, <laughs> it was about a year ago. I can't remember when, maybe two years ago. But anyways, another mistake I made is I invested in this friend of mine former friend of mine, I suppose. <laughs> he, uh, he gave me this sob story. It was real confusing. I knew him from college and he was going to Ukraine for work or something and needed $2,000 to pay his mortgage or something like that. I don't know. He basically gave me a sob story of how I needed money and I gave it to him and I never heard from him since. So I lost 2200 bucks there and countless little mistakes here and there, little investing stuff, but nothing terribly major. I've always been real responsible about my driving habits. So I've never wrecked a car and gotten in legal trouble or anything like that. So that's the one thing too. Is it all goes back to that living responsibly thing. If you do that, you don't have to worry about spending jail time or being in courts or being in the hospital or anything like that. But I've certainly made my share of little mistakes here and there. But as you mentioned earlier, the key is to have that attitude of feedback where whatever happens to you, you take time to reflect. So if you lose $2,000 giving money to a friend who's a friend of yours. So here's a quote I learned. It's wisdom equals experience plus reflection. So if you have an experience, you have to reflect on it and then you grow wiser. But if you have experience and you don't reflect, you don't grow wiser. And consequently, if you don't have any experiences, you can't really grow any wiser. So basically, you need both. So if you just approach your mistakes in life, like, man, I shouldn't have spent $100 on this sweater that I'm never going to wear. And then you reflect on it and say, well, okay, I already have 10 sweaters. Like, I don't really need another one. Then you learn the lesson and you grow wiser. And if you do that over your whole life, if you just have that continual feedback loop, it's pretty staggering. You can basically self-regulate yourself. And anyone who screws up can rise to the top with that defense mechanism surrounding them. Does that make any sense? Yeah, definitely. So I've spoken in a lot of generalities here. I don't like necessarily doing that. But in general, starting out early in my career, and I'm grateful to the things I've had, the hard work and the taking care of your health thing have really, really helped me through my life. So there's tons of smaller anecdotes here and there of lessons learned that's probably not long enough for the show. But that's pretty much my story in a nutshell on how I view money and finances and why it's such an important thing. Okay, so that wraps up our Q&A. I just want to thank Jason for being a part of the podcast and sharing his experience. Sure thing. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. It was fun. Did you have any other closing thoughts? Uh, sure. For anyone out there who's struggling with finances, I would say early on, even though this is contrary to what I said, adopt that miser mentality. Until you've got your stuff squarely together, your housing and your transportation, you don't really... You and don't really and get rid of major debts. Yeah, get rid of your debts, get your housing and your transportation and your health care secured, and then you can spend the money going out with your friends. But until then, pretty much all of your energies and your efforts should go towards fixing those number one things. Because if you can't take care of yourself, you certainly don't have the energy to give it to your friends and others. Yeah, it's huge. Well, that wraps things up. We'll catch you next time on another edition of the Post Money Plan Podcast. Mm-hmm.